Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Instant Reaction Dwarfcast for Back to Earth Part 3. As before, present are the entire GT team plus Carl Eisenhower, Tom Pyatt, Mark Day, and Red Dwarf star Joe Sharples. My name is Jonathan Caps, and I think Part 3 was everything I wanted and a little bit more. I'm Ian Symes, and I need to go back to the Priory. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm Daniel Stevenson, and I have closure. I'm Sir Patrick, and I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Starbug on cobbles off the shoulder of Weatherfield. I've watched Chloe Annett's eyes glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All these moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. Time to die. I'm Tanya Jones, <laughs> and I feel a bit better now. I'm John Hoare, and I'm no longer the kind of audience Red Dwarf wants to attract. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about putting down on things on my Well, uh, to be honest, the enthusiasm and the joy that I'm feeling at this moment in time, you couldn't put a downer on me if you tried, <laughs> which you probably will later. <laughs> but I'd, uh, all my work, well, I, I wouldn't say all, but the vast majority of my worries from the previous episode completely melted away over the course of that, and it was a slow build, and even though I'd said in yesterday's podcast that I didn't think that the, the thing about Doug saying we'd hate him on Saturday and love him on Sunday, I said, well, I don't really agree with that, and he <laughs> proved me right once again, the talented bastard. <laughs> I think my main worry, and I absolutely agree, is that Back to Earth 3 just fixed everything that I perceived as wrong with, well not everything but a, a, a majority of things and the biggest thing was that the overt um, Blade Runner references are just excused in one single line as you know the creator says Blade Runner was why I created you and it's you know if, if the, the, the only issue I have with that is that let's face it I mean, I can see Blade Runner as an influence on dwarf in places. I think, as as we've discussed, for example, the stuff in the books, but it's never been an explicitly stated influence. If it was Dark Star was the reason for your creation, <laughs> no. so so basically, you're saying Doug Nail is a liar. Yes. <laughs> well, no, no, but it was you know, I mean, was that Doug? That was the creator within the fictional I context of the show. It was listless hallucination, perhaps. I think that uh, was. Doug well, I know. I I still feel the Blade Runner references, as great as they all were, I still feel they were overcooked. I don't necessarily feel that they were justified, but I think there was enough else right with the episode that that didn't matter matter so much. I, I would go with justified, but overcooked, nonetheless. I also think some of the problems that I think some of us may have had um, with Back to Earth were elements of it not being funny enough and not as funny as we might expect from Dwarf. Yeah. Uh, I don't think part three rectified that either because part three was by far the least funny of the three. The odd line aside, which I'm sure we'll come to. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that wasn't about being a sitcom for me. That was about giving the fans a proper story and some proper closure. It was giving Red Dwarf an ending. An open-ended ending, but an ending. And it was also an opportunity to do some fantastic metafictional you know, commenting on the nature of fiction and the nature of characters and all the rest of it, which mm. Seb knows far more than me about, but I really liked it. Yes, well, uh, Crichton gave you a lesson in, in uh, Metafiction 101. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. The entire thing at the end that yes. we're fictional. And, and they're we really Perfect ending to Back to Earth. Back to Earth couldn't have had a better ending than that. I, Red that Dwarf Back to Earth sort of being a show that's not quite Red Dwarf, but it's 
it's a, a, a thing in its own right. Self-contained celebration self-contained of the thing. And it was a lovely scene, um, a, a classic walking down the corridor at the end of the scene, explaining everything you've uh, you've just <laughs> witnessed. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was it done really well. Mm. I've got to say though, when I was watching it, when we were watching the Back to Earth and stuff, I was wondering, we've got like twenty-three minutes. Is that is that how long this one was? Yeah, something. Oh, so yeah. it was like I was just wondering. It's like we got to the first advert break, and I was just thinking, how on the hell? Is he going to finish this? How is he going to tie up all these little things that we've been seeing? And there's so much left to go to go to we haven't seen yet. How's he going to do it? And for some reason, he's managed to do it. Just, I th- I'm astounded. There will be those who say who will call it lazy because they'll say it's a retread of Back to Reality. But I don't see it as that because I see it as a sequel to Back to Reality. You yeah, can't really. accuse him of ripping off his own ideas if he's explicitly acknowledging <laughs> it and explicitly putting a different spin on it. You see, this is what I've always said about Ema Hawk. That if you're explicitly doing three sequels in one, you know, you're yeah. unsolved. Um, I still think the idea of doing three sequels in one is more interesting than doing one sequel in one of you, so what I mean. So I still have certain issues with, with doing a sequel. It, it feels like it's slightly riffing too much, but that's not mm-hmm. my major problem with the episode, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and should we mention what's one of the biggest elephants in the room, which is Doug keeping something pretty fucking huge absolutely 100% secret from everybody yeah. Rob Grant <laughs> <laughs> yeah the advantages of it not being as exposed as Doctor Who though yeah <laughs> I mean we suspected it and we were being led to suspect it by the, her appearance in the photos the photos but, and the kids on the bus saying she's not really alive we maybe thought you know if they got when they went back to reality then she mm. might be there we didn't expect the thing of Lister having to choose and it being Chloe. Oh, fantastic to see Chloe in it. It really yeah. was. It re- I, I never thought, because obviously I don't like the character of Kachansky, but I do like Chloe Annette, mm. and it was just lovely to see her doing something different. Yeah, I mean, that moment when you had her coming through the doors, I think, I don't know about anybody else, but it was like, is it though? Is this going to be something? Is it going to be her? Is it going to be her? And then it was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The first time Kachansky's given me like proper goosebumps in, in a Oh, I wouldn't go. I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. well, you know what I mean? The sort of like you know I'm just, I'm just saying it's not the first time. reveal gives you yeah, you know, in a show. Uh shall I read out an interesting comment? Yes. That someone's posted. Uh, which I think uh, John will probably want to respond to. Oh, God. Uh, Tea Time says, One thing is clear to me, this style of Red Dwarf is what Doug is suited to. If he writes more Red Dwarf, he shouldn't try for the sitcom thing again. Doug does comedy drama best, the pathos here, and even though it's different, it works. Back to Earth played to all Doug's strengths, judging by the quality. I actually kind of half agree. My problem is, I think that's correct, and I, I don't think Doug can necessarily doesn't seem to be able to write a sitcom Red Dwarf very well. The problem is, I can't get on board Dwarf as comedy drama. I really can't, I can't respond to it. I want to, when we were watching um, all the Coronation Street stuff, which we'll go into depth, take that script that was done. I should have loved it, and I couldn't. And I can't quite figure out why I wasn't responding. If you take the lines, I'm sitting there, and I was acutely aware, why the fuck aren't I laughing? All I knew was that I wasn't. Um, so I think the problem is, is that we've got to the point where I'm kind of thinking I can't be a fan of Doug Naylor produced Red Dwarf. He's done three, series seven, series eight, and then back to Earth, and I've not really been keen on any of them. And I do not think tonight's episode was bad television by any means, but it's not television I can personally respond to. 
that's that's my issue and i'm still trying to figure out which parts of it i think are mistakes that they made and which parts of it is just stuff that aren't mistakes but can't stuff i can respond to and my head filled with all kinds of things i literally can't figure out which is which at this point it's too soon do you think that um as uh, john's mud has just pointed out <laughs> Rimmer's line about all I wanted was a sitcom was channeling a lot of the fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that was Doug commenting on, on what it's... Well, it was, you know, it was partly a joke, but it was, yeah. there's an element of a comment on yeah. what it's become. Um, That's the thing with an episode that is breaking the fourth wall constantly and, you know, with loads of metafiction, is you kind of can't see the wood for the trees when it comes to little things like that that could well be, you know, um, yeah. a, a message to the fans or a little bit of fourth wall breaking. A lot of it was just, even if it wasn't, as an episode as a whole, even if it wasn't talking directly to us, it was for us. And that's mm. the thing. It was a lot of, not fan wank, but a lot of <laughs> fan whatever the term is for really good stuff that really, you know, I, I, plays on what a lot of th fans have been thinking for these last 10 years. I, I think a lot of people are, are going to say, and I think to an extent it's true, that the, the specials are going to feel like a more satisfying viewing experience when you watch them all together. Mm. On the other hand, if you split the three episodes, I think you've got three distinct things. You've got part one, which is for the people who vaguely remember Red Dwarf as this comedy show set on a spaceship, because that's what part one was, you know, for your casual viewer. Part two will have alienated a few more of the casual viewers, but will also have drawn in people who like clever TV satire, because part two was a piece of clever TV satire. And I am i don't mention it, some of you may know regu uh, occasional Dwarf cast contributor Julian Hazeldine, who yeah. doesn't like Red Dwarf and really liked part two. Uh, and then you've got part three, which was all about the fans. You know, that's, that just was not for the casual viewer at all. That was about giving the fans stuff on a plate. Yeah. If we could just have a look at the polls as they're going, because we've been quite surprised with the positive reaction on G&T overall. I mean, not had time to read all the comments, obviously, <laughs> but uh, no. the current, um, well, we've come down to 25 votes. Usually it would probably go to about 60 if the other two are to be, um, you know, to go by. We've got uh, 14 votes with fucking yes, which is five stars, unless you've uh, not worked it out. Uh, two votes for fucking hell, four for blimey, one for fucking calm down, and actually four for fucking fuck off, yes. which is one star. So it's more polarised than previous yeah. ones, but the five star one is miles ahead. Yeah, as with, uh, yeah, uh, the five star clearly won yesterday as well. Um, you, you forget though that GNT is obviously anti-everything that's <laughs> ever done, both the yeah. staff and the comments, clearly. Uh, the thing is, G and T is exactly the kind of people who that episode was aimed at. Yeah. You know that that was that was fan plea. That was almost fan service. Some of that, uh -huh. you know. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't overtly so. It wasn't. No. It wasn't in uh, the way. I don't think. It didn't have Chloe getting a tits out. Well, it didn't, and that that was a problem. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, the, probably the one thing that we we've united as. as as clamouring for for the last 10 years, aside from uh, Chloe and its breasts, um, is an ending that isn't only the good. Yes. Now, that, now, that's not an ending ending, um, but it does put me in mind of the way that the last Futurama movie ended or the way that Arrested Development ended in that it's... feel Emotionally, it feels like an ending. You, you can be happy if it's never going to carry on because you can mentally go, well, you know, that that's a nice emotional end point and there's stuff that goes on after that but we just don't ever see yeah, it. Yeah, nice and clean. Yeah, but if they did ever decide to bring it back, there's nothing they've got to undo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Could we uh, talk about a few specifics while they come to mind? Mm -hmm. uh, such as the entire 
every scrap of footage shot on Coronation Street was absolutely bloody brilliant. It was. Yeah. <laughs> every single scene. The one bit that had me most, well, terrified on Headfoot Monday. Mm. <laughs> and, and yeah, suddenly it's it's it probably my favourite part of the entire story. Well, it's that, it's that one line. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> well, it's the one line, but it, was just, it was also brilliantly played by everyone, I thought. And the scene in the cabin, which yeah. I didn't expect to be any good because, you know, it was just some big titted woman that none of us knew for her acting skills uh, was rendered brilliant by uh, you know Chris uh, Robert and Danny's northern dialect see I thought I thought going in when they and when he, when Robert said about doing the northern dialect I thought oh you're going to have Robert doing his spare head three voice oh. but it was so much funnier than that because it was Robert in Crichton's voice speaking in the northern, northern dialect and it was hilarious I think it I think though, if you, I was wondering when it got to episodes two and three, I would see the reason why it hadn't got an audience, and I s kind of see it. At the same time, I still think all three parts would have benefited. I think that scene, all the Coronation Street stuff, would have benefited from an audience. I feel very distant from the comedy. This is part of my problem. I'm still trying to work it through in my head, but I feel too distant from the comedy. I how think it's done. I agree with you because. I think, yeah, a lack of laughter does result in distancing from the comedy, but I don't think that the presence of laughter would necessarily distance us no, from the drama. I don't. I, um, and I would, yeah, I would have definitely preferred... It's not a bigger problem for me that there isn't an mm. audience there, but, um, yeah, definitely given the choice, I would I would have gone for audience, even if it was, you know... It comes back, cause I think we were saying earlier, that you are allowed a subtle left track, and you are allowed a left track that does not go across whole scenes you can do yeah, it sure. um the only thing we, we get back to the point that yes they said that um part of the reason there wasn't a laugh track on this was um uh, due to the the theme they were trying to create um it's also true they've said part of the reason there wasn't a laugh track on this was production issues so uh, and trying to get money on screen i understand why they didn't but it's a really not not the only thing it's not like you know stick a laugh track on it and all my problems with the episodes are you know over because that's bollocks but it's one of the sticking points of many. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just make a promise to all our listeners? That's the last laugh track mentioned on these podcasts. All right, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Tanya, you said at the start that you were much happier now. Why? Um, it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Um, I was actually generally a bit traumatised <laughs> by the whole experience until um, I watched part three, and I have a feeling that part three would actually flesh things out and make and make it all make sense so I think it has um, I'm not quite I'm not quite as negative as Johnny is about it I'm not, what I don't surprise know, <laughs> I don't know whether I'm sort of jumping up and saying whoa, whoa, that was the greatest thing ever but actually it's, it's an intelligent piece of television and that's what we've probably needed so yeah I think I agree with everyone else when they say that that's sufficient closure to Absolutely. give it a good end also, I really enjoyed it because my girlfriend was in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, Ian, we've told you, Chloe Annette is not <laughs> your girlfriend. <laughs> then how did I get this lump of her hair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you all spotted Andrew Allard in, uh, in his little cameo as well. Uh, it's in the market scene, by the way, if you yeah. want to have a look back, the chase scene. And uh, in, in the episode and in the making of as well. Yep, yeah. Um, Far too much Allard in the uh, making of. <laughs> 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 a 
the make up was very good. Yeah, they, I, sh- I they should have got it. Andrew to do the voiceover though, because I don't know who that gimp they had. <laughs> <laughs> also, what was John Hoare doing on the Coronation Street set? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it, it was a nice little making of actually. If, yeah, if we're going to talk it about was, that briefly. Um, I, I feel there was a lot missing, but come on, how long do you think the, the documentary on the DVD is going to be? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I want the story of uh, Chloe Annette showing up on set. I want yeah, how yeah, that was yeah. done. And, we we know, want the storyline analysis as yeah, well as yeah. the, uh, the, you know, the actual production analysis. Mm. I mean, it's not kind of... Part of it is like, oh God, how did that not get leaked? Let's be clear, this isn't a kind of, you know... I can't say that because I'll give something away just in case people are avoiding who spoilers. It's not like um, people turning up on Doctor Who set that I'm not, you're not supposed to know about. Yeah. Mm. Chloe Annette is not well-known actress uh, outside dwarf fandom. I know mm. she's no. At the same time, for fans, it's exactly the same, and it's exactly the same shock. Yeah, I mean, but when you think about the stuff that that various people dug out, you know, bits and bobs that that people knew, mm. uh, for that one to have not got near anybody basically Uh, I think the only advance hint was the fact that while we were pretty certain that Holly wasn't going to be in it Robert Llewellyn was notably evasive on Twitter where every time he was directly asked about Kachansky I don't think he ever gave a definitive answer and said she wasn't in it and he was like that about um, uh, Chloe Annette he was also like it about Norma and he was also like about Hattie and obviously Mm. he'd been very uh, saying no Norm isn't in it, no Hattie isn't in it, and then as soon as it's quite chunky, you know, might have given it away. Yeah, so it, it was well played mm. by him. How how happy are we all after that episode in terms of very much so. because <laughs> we've got differing opinions on series seven, eight, all of us, but there is at least a general kind of thing that you yeah. know, none of us are especially happy. I was mm. wondering whether it might sort of make seven, eight a bit more watchable now we know there's some sort of ending to the whole. I don't know. Well, yeah, but that's not an ending to series eight. I mean, if there's if there's one thing you've got to say, there's no, um, there's nothing tied up from the end of series eight. It's almost as if series eight or even series seven. Well, no, series seven would have had to happen because chance gets yeah. around. But uh, you know, for example, while you could guess it, there's no definitive answer to which Rimmer it is. Uh, and I said at the start that I was glad that they didn't waste time at the beginning. Uh, some hints might have been nice and I think there's probably one hint which is that Rimmer remembered the despair squid I was just going to say one thing and that was that I thought that was pretty genius and that they got round the whole having to close series 8 having to explain what Rimmer it is by the whole idea that this is set after a series 10 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> where all of that stuff have an explanation. yeah but I think yeah because the important thing because of the fact that this were, was not a, a direct story continuation, but was more about being a celebration of Dwarf. It didn't really matter because we just had a classic Dwarf setup. We had the four of them on the ship, and we had Kachansky as the, the ideal to be chased after. Um, and so actually directly linking it to eight um, didn't matter as much. And that's what, I mean, you know, so from a plot point of view, there's not closure, because there isn't. That was a one-off adventure that they had. That yeah. doesn't bring an end to their saga. It leaves it open-ended. But it's about, as I said before, emotional closure, um, which I felt we had. For the characters and for the show. It's it's comparable to the end of Backwards. Yeah, a little full stop. Sorry, you see, this is what links back to um, my whole issue, which is that, and it's one no one shares, um, if I'm not laughing at Red Dwarf, and I admit I laughed very long and hard at the um, uh, Priory joke, that was very (laughs) good. And there's two or three other moments in the whole thing but on a line by line basis I'm not laughing 
if I'm not laughing at Red Dwarf, I'm not emotionally invested. Mm. And I think that that's a significant difference between you and between yeah. most of us because I think, you know, it's like we talked about with uh, reacting differently to Last Human, for example. Mm. It's uh, I think we have enough of an investment in the world and the characters that Doug set up. But you, see, um, but you see, I do. I really do. It's not quite that. It's It's still the barrier that when I, maybe it's just me, when I turn on Red Dwarf, I want to laugh and I really want to enjoy it as a sitcom and I, I can't get past it and I'm still at the point trying to figure out how much of it is just me and how much of it is is actually things I think they made a genuine mistake with and I, I still can't figure that out but if I'm not laughing I don't give a fuck mm. about anything else and that's not been aggressively against you lot, don't get me wrong, I'm talking about my own personal reaction. <laughs> Um, I, I kind of think that, I mean, Red Dwarf has always uh, struggled with this dichotomy, the fact that it's a sitcom at the same time as being a sci-fi show. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, you know, it's veered in different directions between the two. Um, I think, and with this, what, what this has sort of rammed home is that, for me, what makes Red Dwarf important is it doesn't necessarily need to be the greatest sitcom ever. Uh, although, you know, obviously it's great when it is. But for me, what Red Dwarf is about is about being intelligent and unique um, sci-fi, or not even necessarily that it's sci-fi, but the point is, it can be a sci-fi show as long as it's not just being Star Trek, yeah. and as long as it's actually doing something and it's being inventive. Uh, and okay, you, you know, you can't say that this storyline is wholly original, but the point is, it is a storyline that uh, most other TV shows would not have done. Yeah. Um, and you know, so the fact that Red Dwarf is there doing that and being clever justifies its existence see, to me. I so wish I could, I could feel that. Mm. I really, really wish I could feel that. The last thing I want to do is sit here and go, eh, it's not a sitcom. And because as much as anything else... Well, done. Because as much as anything else, it, it genuinely makes me sound small-minded and unintelligent, and I'm fully aware of this. But oh, I, John, I, everything you say... But I genuinely, I can't get past that for me. And again, we get past to... There is an inherent contradiction. Part of me is thinking... I don't care if it's not Red Dwarf, it just has to be good television. And the other part of me is saying, I cannot accept Red Dwarf as not being a really fucking good audience sitcom. And it does come back to what I respond to in Red Dwarf is the mixture of audience sitcom. I know we said we weren't going to do it, but I'm trying not to talk about laugh track. Is audience sitcom and, and, and science fiction and that blend. I can't get on board with it if one of the major things that attracted me to it is taken away. Speaking of uh, major elements of Red Dwarf being taken away, how bloody terrified were we all that they were writing Lister out? Yeah, oh, it, was, <laughs> it was close. Someone called it on G&T yesterday and I thought, it's yeah, a possibility. Mm. And then, yeah, it was, it was looking pretty close because obviously there's the logistical thing of the next time uh, there is Red Dwarf, Craig's going to have to get out of his Corrie contract again, which he did for mm. two, three weeks, whatever it was this time. It's but, something to think about. <laughs> yeah, but Red Dwarf without Lister, as this these specials proved, I mean, as much as there were great Rimmer moments and great uh, Crichton moments, and even like the plot points, a lot of the plot points in part one were revolving around Rimmer. Part two and three are Lister's story. It's mm. all about Lister. Yeah. Um, something that I think most of us had a problem with yesterday, uh, the way that Katarina was got rid of, I didn't have a problem well, with that. Well, okay, that's why I said most of us, all of us. Um, obviously, we didn't see her again, but I think 
the fact that she was basically a figment of their collective imaginations, yeah, and, yeah. and also were being, yeah, yeah, uh, um, controlled by the creator. In order script. to get them to a certain point, they had to act out of character, such as Lister reading the Chinese, mm. and then Lister killing the creator later on, and Cat doing his origami stuff. That's really mm. fucking clever. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I I don't want too much. To, I mean, I say I've, I've kind of had a go at people for going, oh, it's just like *Leave Gentlemen's Apocalypse*. Um, but I am genuinely interested to know whether or not Doug has actually read Grant Morrison's *Animal Man* for the simple reason that in the specific issue where *Animal Man* meets Grant Morrison, uh, there is a point where uh, *Animal Man* gets really angry, picks up Grant Morrison and throws him through a window, and Grant Morrison's lying there dead. At which point, Grant Morrison appears behind him and says, "See, I made you do that. I can make you do anything I want." Uh, and you know, there are whole scenes where you know the, he points to a screen, and on the screen it says, "Close up of Morrison's hand pointing at the screen." And again, you know, it, it's not necessarily that. Oh my God, it was an original idea by Grant Morrison, but it, it did strike me as very similar. And I just wonder yeah, if, the, if Doug's aware almost, of that. You know, I think that's almost certain. There's too many similarities, and also the bit with uh, Lister typing out the next yeah. few scenes was well. Was, quite a bit of future drama but also that that is very League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse I mm, think yeah <laughs> because that's a, it's a big sort of yeah I mean I, I'm not saying it. it can't be compared I'm just I don't like people saying oh they're just doing League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse but the fact you that know, there were bits, bits as the, the only reference there were bits point. like Grant Morrison and there were bits that were like Apocalypse and there, there were bits that were like Last Action Hero or whatever that yeah. just goes to show that it's not ripping off at anything exactly it's yeah. a part of a genre that also it's includes just, yeah, these things uh, the only bit out of the whole creator sequence that I didn't like was the sort of, oh, it was all a dream element of the uh, the Blade Runner shooting through the street. Uh, we were made to think that that was real and it was just the creator saying, uh, so it was just the creator describing yeah. it. It didn't actually happen. I agree. Um, I didn't like that at all. Again, I would have preferred if maybe something a bit cleverer had been done with that, as if he described that and him describing it made it happen. But at the end of the scene, you know, yeah. they're not still in that room, but it hasn't happened yet. And you know, yeah, when they started the chase, I thought, ah, oh, that's a really nice, clever sort of cut <laughs> to that scene, and then yeah. that's taken away from you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's an awful lot of effort to spend on effectively a dream sequence. Isn't it? <laughs> it's well, almost as though, yeah, we wanted to get this in somehow. Yeah. Uh, so they got some trailers out of it though. <laughs> hey, but I was in that bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that bit was put in in order to get Joe in. Right? That's why I was disappointed that it was that a crazy <laughs> Because Joe's appearance isn't canon. <laughs> oh, well, at least Joe's appearance isn't canon. <laughs> <laughs> that would be terrible. so <laughs> Is that staying in? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, like, it's like Seb says, we, we don't want to be at odds with anyone except for Gavin. <laughs> Yeah, but just remember that you know this podcast doesn't necessarily exist, or the people listening to it don't necessarily exist. Yeah, we don't exist. We're not really saying this. No, this is Doug Naylor writing what we say. Yeah, <laughs> writing what we say. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I will say, I was not uh, especially happy with the tapping on the typewriter, silly things happening in the background no, sequence, I do, which is strange considering it's the most slapsticky bit and you kind of think I would like it mm. but I wasn't that keen. I like the shot of the three 
rakes. Sideshow Bob reference? Yeah, yeah I wondered yeah, that. I wondered that. That's got to be Sideshow Bob. I wasn't that impressed. No, that, it, it probably went on a, um, a little bit too long, it, and it wasn't played particularly well, I don't think. Especially when there's such a short running time for what they're trying to squeeze in. Yeah. As well. I really like most of the dialogue-based gags. I think the rakes went on for just the right amount of time, because it becomes funnier the more it's overdone. I think Rimmer... Uh, whacking himself in the groomers over them, but other than that, I really enjoyed that scene. And the 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 wordy gags from the typewriter were better, and I think we'll get better on second viewing. What did we think of um, the fellow whose name I can't remember who's playing the creator? Richard Calhoun. Yeah. He's alright. Yeah. He was, he was a bit American, he wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't. Was that because was he meant to be being Tyrell? Because he had the glasses and everything. Yeah. Well, oh, that's, I haven't seen that well, far in Blade Runner. So. As, as another, I think we talked in one of the early casts about, and you mentioned before about the walking down the corridor exposition thing. There's a number of points in Back to Earth that seemed like the, you know, the culmination of, or at least a, a bringing to mind a classic dwarf trope. And, uh, you know, you would have to know. Unfortunately, you would have to know Blade Runner to get the reference. But the ultimate use of smeg as a substitute swear word comes mm-hmm. with Lister saying. We want more life, smegger, because it's instead of want more life, fucker. So yeah, that's good. But unfortunately, it relied on prior knowledge. So yeah, which is you know I, yeah, I don't mind that's still a good referencing, but relying on prior knowledge for something like dwarf, it's yeah, not really fair. Most most of my concerns have been removed, like I said, by by the line from the creator, mm. which I thought was just really nice, like Doug talking about the creation of Red Dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> but there is yeah, the, the, there's still a problem of oversaturation and um and yeah and, and jokes that just are well re- references that, you know, really people shouldn't have to watch Blade Runner to be Although to be fair, to people like should have to watch Blade Runner because it's Blade Runner. <laughs> Not because of Red Dwarf, <laughs> but because it's Blade Runner. And um, the Someone mentioned on the thread, I've, I've lost it now, but the Rimmer Munchkins were fucking scary. I think they're especially well done. Yeah, no, they were uh, weird. They, they, weird they kind of freaked me out. They were a bit Twin Peaks for me. <laughs> oh, no, that'll be good. <laughs> Don't eat that <laughs> We all feel a bit shell-shocked in different ways, I yeah. think. Yeah. I, I think it's, there's been a long way to silence and I... Everyone's still taking it in because yesterday your mind still thought there's more tomorrow and you could focus on that. Yeah, now I've, we're yeah. sitting here and thinking, right, that was it. What the fuck? I've completely felt that, uh, yeah, that I've just shut down in some degree now that there's not more Red Dwarf. I feel like yeah. I've just been told there's no Silicon Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of, yeah, there's, uh, it's a strange feeling that all that excitement is now over, but mm. we've, left it with a product that I really like and that has made me it has given me closure and works self contained and I'm so relieved that there wasn't a cliffhanger at the end by the way. <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> but I yeah, I feel like I've been delivered a little beautifully packaged parcel of beautiful things and I'm now happy and sated. Okay. I'd I'd agree with that. Sorry. I was just gonna say can I throw a question out there which is actually something that Tom brought up yesterday, which was if it, there isn't the series, and obviously, it's very unlikely that Rob's going to come back. Would you be happy to see another writer come in? After Doug delivered something like that on his own, obviously, we're in conjunction with Ellard, then no, because I want 
I want Doug's voice talking to me. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty happy with the Doug. Um, Doug writing. You know, Ellard being. Um, you know, I'm sure obviously other people would be involved in the process, but I. You can. John said yesterday. You can see a lot of Andrew's influence all over the place, and in the main, you know, I've really enjoyed that. That element. So I think you know the the Andrew and Doug partnership. <laughs> I, I, did we ever think we'd be using the dialogue? I think it's important dwarf. not to overstate it. I think that was a very Doug <laughs> yeah script. Sure. But I think there are Andrew influences in there. But I think I think it's a very Doug thing. I, I, yeah. um, I mean, everyone needs an editor, and yeah, I think Andrew's. You know what I'm trying to say is, you know, I like the fact that Andrew was for Back to Earth and in the future I'd like it to be the same just just as a to provide an alternative viewpoint to, the, to answer that question I don't necessarily think it would be necessary but you know I don't think the problem on 7 and 8 was Doug bringing in other writers I think it was Doug bringing in other writers of the standard and level of experience that were brought in I think if you look at something like Doctor Who and I think a Red Dwarf series with Doctor Who as uh, <laughs> a Red Dwarf series with Doug as Russell bringing in other comedy writers of the standard of that Stephen Moffat and Paul Cornell are to drama, uh, you know, who who couldn't want that? If, it, if it's going to boost the quality of the comedy, Actually, as long as you've got Doug overseeing the plot, because now it feels like it's... Even little things like we mentioned yesterday, cosmetic changes like it becoming Starfleet again, which I'm hugely happy with, but it makes it clear that this is Doug's world that we're in now. Um, yeah. For better or worse... Red Dwarf isn't the Red Dwarf that Robin Doug created, really. I don't yeah, think. Which makes it a little bit more acceptable to have other comedy writers, as, as, mm. you know, overtly, you know, writing their own scripts. But you but could say you could Doug, also argue that Red Dwarf that isn't Robin Doug Red Dwarf shouldn't be allowed to. <laughs> I'd prefer it not to be that way, but I wouldn't be adverse mm. totally to it. <laughs> also, if there is a, well, I'm confused about the series. 9 and Series 10 thing, because Doug said in that interview that there won't be a Series 9, but there could be a Series 10. But when Lister reads the DVD case in Part 2, he says that it takes place I, after Series 10. I, Someone pointed out in the forum, which I don't agree with, that Series 10 will be a prequel to Back to Earth. I think yeah. that would be a bit... I, I think you can put that down to Doug in an interview making a mild reference to the fact that in the show he's got a joke about yeah, yeah. Pre, you know shows that we haven't seen but not wanting to be too specific in the context of an interview to go oh well we couldn't have a series 9 or a series 10 <laughs> but we could have a series 11 either that you know, or Craig Charles um, can't read Roman numerals <laughs> <laughs> which we shouldn't too. rule out <laughs> um, similar sort of question to you know other people writing for Red Dwarf but if more Red Dwarf was to be made what would we prefer, a TV series or the movie, as in the the, the movie that was always intended to be a reboot of um, the franchise? If, if it's going to be like Back to Earth, I'd prefer a movie. I'm not really interested in a series of that. Absolutely. Just, mm. just yeah, I'm not on board for that. That think, felt like Red Dwarf the movie should feel mm, to me. Mm. I think if they were to make another TV series, then it wouldn't necessarily... If it was a full series, then it wouldn't necessarily feel like that because this was specifically written as a special to go over one weekend and you can get away with doing more filmic things there. If it was a weekly series, I think they'd probably make it a little bit more traditional. I think if it's back on TV again and it's on a commercial channel, 
it needs to have a longer slot, like uh, a yes. foot, like half an hour into forty-five minutes or something yeah, like I that. Agree. Mm-hmm. I've badly I, felt what time. I wouldn't much. mind there being more adverts as long as there was more running time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think as well as well. Now that I've seen, you know, how good this this plot was, and it almost feels like a full stop at the end of TV. You know, Red Dwarf is kind of summing up everything that had gone before into one thing. I I'm actually really really keen to see a rebooted universe with with Doug with this you know newfound you know confidence. I mean, it has been ten years since he's made mm. something for TV. To you know to take that in you know into a movie or just anything. But I would like to see a reboot at this point. I think, and that's why I'd like to. But like then to there's the such. But then there's a premise that's been set up for future things as Kachansky's out there. Mm. I guess. Even if she even if she never turns up again, it's a sort of they've set it up as a striving in the same way that Lister trying to get back to Earth was what was driving yeah. it on and then mm-hmm. trying to find Red Dwarf is what was driving yes. it on. And then being in prison for some fucking reason was driving <laughs> it on. This is I guess me, there's so many clever, very well constructed ideas in there. There is. I mean, even, I wasn't keen, but at the same time, I can see there were so many, and that was a perfect example. It's setting up future things. There's so much thought gone into these episodes, mm. which is why I find it so gutting. I didn't like them. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, at least you're acknowledging good bits. <laughs> I was just thinking. Um, I know, in you know, Rob almost certainly is never coming back, even if our, in our wildest dreams he would. But if he ever was to, Doug has parked the series in the absolute perfect position in that he has returned it almost to a point in time where Rob left. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Apart from the fact that the... Apart from the Chansky thing. But even that's left as a... Lister's dream is still to get back with Chansky and he's got the optimism that he can do it. And he's on his own with the three main characters with the option of bringing Holly back even though... I would not want Norman Lovett to be in Red Dwarf ever again. <laughs> I'd love Hattie Hayrish to be back in Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah. I, I had an idea where, you know, uh, Holly gets rebooted and unfortunately the uh, the male persona was destroyed forever by the water damage. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, what I think they should do, they should get Norm back, uh, record all the stuff, and then replace him with Hattie in the edit and don't <laughs> <laughs> send him an email a couple of weeks before. <laughs> Um, something that I, I mean, we we've talked a bit about the the way it was made in the visuals and stuff, but we haven't really talked about Doug as a director because Doug directed that. I thought did. it was a very well directed and very well made piece of television uh, by somebody who hasn't really directed on his own before. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I think it looked brilliant, but I you know I assume his director of photography has a lot to do with that. But it just I thought there was lots of nice little tricks in there. It, it, it never. Never seen, well, never seen bog standard. <laughs> That's one thing I can say. It's worth pointing out the uh, foreground miniature. Oh, oh yes. yes. <laughs> I thought that was CGI for the final scene. But, Fucking um, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Done. I'm looking forward to more stuff like that in a hopefully extended <laughs> documentary on the yeah. DVD because there's got to be tons of money-saving, clever little old-school tricks like that dotted about the place. <laughs> yeah. Mike Seymour's uh, demonstration of how they created the London scene. Oh, it just that was all fantastic. Our pants I wish that. that shot had been in the show for longer. Yeah. Watch it for about five minutes. Um, <laughs> Just very yeah. clever. He's, he's clearly a very, very like, not only good but efficient, you know, mm. work when it comes to to effects because just the amount that he's done in in such a small time, he's you know, he's obviously just you know, 
very tuned into just doing good things very quickly using you know well well worn techniques and and given that yesterday we watched an episode of Doctor Who in which the CGI was probably the weakest it's been since the series came back, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a stark comparison. Uh, I mean, Doctor Who has done fantastic CGI and effects, Leslie Ernst, but yeah. they weren't on show during Planet of the Dead. Go no, on. which I still think was um, HD teething problems. I really do. When yeah, you're, but when you but even so, it doesn't excuse the fact it was fucking on telly yesterday. Yeah. Do you know I guess I mean? Mike Seymour is a bit of a HD. Well, if you can call them veterans at this point, <laughs> yeah, because it, an early pioneers, yeah, he's an early yeah. adopter. Yeah, he's, I mean, his Spends podcast them. is always talking about the, you know the HD technology, and I've got the feeling he was there like from the very first mm. test camera. It so, depends how much um, yeah. film work he's done. Of course, I, don't, I genuinely don't. Uh, know. Yeah, that is a good point, <laughs> Mike. See who might be listening. He's yeah, yeah. It's the <laughs> Mike, if you're listening. Tell us. Yeah, tell us what you've done. I think we're nearly coming to an end, and it's not because uh, you know there's nothing to talk about in that episode. Which clearly, there was. It's because a lot of the episode was so, you know, f- very fine details, but broad points were being made, and it feels like it just it feels like one whole thing rather than a succession of moments. More so than previously in that episode. Yeah, mm. it's difficult to to analyze, you know, certain aspects of it until we've watched the shit out of it, basically. And, yeah, until you know, the DVDs come out, yeah. until we've done the reviews. And all I, I've got a feeling that the commentaries when the DVD comes out is are going to be pretty damn long. Um, we better oh, get a Doug. I was about to say, Doug better be involved. Sold the cast. He's not only the creator and the writer, but also the director. He really, really needs to do one. Yeah, I think he's probably. And it's about him. After Body Snatcher, I can't see him not. I have more confidence. There's no reason why he couldn't. You know. Yeah. He's got, he, he, know, he knows now so. that fans are interested in what he has to say. Exactly. Um, it took him fucking long enough. And if he doesn't, Doug, <laughs> we're interested. Yeah, no, he might be interested. So, what we've done at the end of the previous two podcasts is to ask what we thought of that part that seems uh, wrong to do so now. Mm. It seems wrong to say, what did you think of part three? But what did we think of Back to Earth as a whole? And where would we rank it in the pantheon of Red Dwarf? Jesus. Oh. <laughs> See, I knew that would be a big couldn't rank it. It's, uh, as, you, it's as, as Seb says, it's, it feels like a different thing anyway it feels very self-contained i much prefer that as a whole to series eight as a whole definitely yeah definitely yeah here too. I, john definitely doesn't no, my, my issue is that i think back to earth is um clearly better made television than red dwarf 8 i laughed more at red dwarf 8 therefore i enjoyed it more yeah no, that's that, that's, you know, <laughs> okay. i'm wrong but yeah. <laughs> um no that's um i'm different Although I could, po- I possibly laughed more at some, some bits of um, Red Dwarf because I saw it as you know the gag packed sitcom on Red Dwarf. Um, I think this is more satisfying, and I, therefore it, it's better in my opinion. I think it probably is ostensibly better. Um, you know, I just uh, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> I think. Um, I'm, I'm going to be an arsehole look at this from, from the two different ways of approaching it. One is that just purely as a piece of television, it ticked a lot of boxes for me. Uh, you, you all know that you know, it's the style of thing that I like. It was a dazzlingly inventive 
Uh, slightly flawed and in some senses the, the pace uh, dropped in the third part, but generally fantastic piece of television. From a Red Dwarf point of view, I can't reconcile in my head where that fits as a piece of Red Dwarf, other than the fact that I feel like we've got the ending it always should have had, if it is an ending. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even if we have to wait years to find out whether it is an ending, as a temporary ending, it's, you know, it's what the, we should have had all along. The thing with Back to Earth is that Red Dwarf and everything we know of Red Dwarf is the subject for the whole show. But how the show was presented doesn't particularly feel like Red Dwarf as we've seen it before. So it, there's a lot of familiarity there. Yeah. But there's also there's a lot of there's a lot of new things to mm. to get straight in your head and and yeah like I I just and is it I probably enjoyed it for a new yeah know, exactly something to move off into and I probably enjoyed it more than eight um, but there are episodes in seven that I would probably pick over it um, just just because. Probably at the moment, familiarity and, and, and laughs. Speaking of, just quickly, the comparison to Eight, uh, I would show that... If I was saying to people, I'm a fan of this show, Red Dwarf, I'd show that to people. wouldn't necessarily show it to them first, but I'd show that to people yeah. in a way that I would feel embarrassed to show Eight to I, people. I, I think, actually, with me, um, although I did sort of put... The, the, for me, the Series 8 thing is misnomer. I don't like Series 7. I don't like Series 8. I can see Back to Earth's probably better than either of them but I can't get on board with it for me this isn't a series 7 series 8 thing it's a series 1 to 6 thing <laughs> yeah. and you know I'd already completely ruled that out by the you know so, so it, it's that and would any of us put that anywhere substantial in the canon of 1 to 6 I'd put it uh, well basically I wouldn't say that it was I'd rank it higher than 37 I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah. which. I, I just know that there are some episodes yeah. uh, that I would prefer. I prefer Back to Earth than those. It, it can hold its own. It can it hold can its stand own up alongside. Not against the best, mm. but against some of the series one to six episodes, it can certainly hold its own. But purely from a plot point of view, I think it's one of the best plots Red Dwarf's ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Even if yeah the execution wasn't as spot on and the gags weren't as spot on as it has been at its best. From a plot perspective, it was at its best. I feel happy. <laughs> I feel very happy, and I'm so glad that they've made this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I 100%. thought, yeah, I thought that yesterday. Even when I was, yeah, I'm most disappointed, which was the end of yesterday. I'm still, I'm still, you know, I was still glad it was happening, and it, well, even more so now because it's actually something I can appreciate existing even more. So, uh, that's. The end of uh, New Red Dwarf being on the telly for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can exclusively reveal that Series 10 starts... Uh, <laughs> 306 days, 22 hours and 40 minutes from this recording. Or at least a fair fair can, I, can I just say we're such a pack of cunts, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, Smug idiots. I'd just like to... I know we keep doing it, but I'd like to once again thank the G&T readership. Uh, yeah, yeah. This weekend has been a very strange yeah. weekend, but... <laughs> Uh, the way that people have, have been on the site and just constantly keeping the discussion going. I mean, it's been a bit too much for us to keep up with, yeah. but uh, yeah. it's great. And, you know, I, I love seeing so many diverse opinions. I love seeing people, you know, already pick this apart. Mm. And uh, um, and I've loved the way that it's built up and built up. I mean, GNT has always had a readership, but since this Back to Earth coverage started, it's just been 
up and up and up, and it's got to the point now where it's too much for the people who write, <laughs> who write the bloody yeah. thing. But yeah, thanks, and do stick with us because we're not going to stop doing what we've been doing these last few months. We're yeah. going to keep on going until we. And we're not we're not going to just be about back to earth. I mean, you know, yeah. in a lot of ways, this has probably reinvigorated interest in Red talking Dwarf about itself. dwarf in general. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also don't forget because we've got the DVD coming up as well. We'll have commentary. Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> that's all. To come. Views, all that stuff. You lucky people. Like <laughs> You're born and, and then you die. The bit in the middle is when the DVD comes out, and that's still. <laughs> <laughs> and see you all at Dimension Jump. Yes, yes. 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 That'd be a fucking good. <laughs> you can of course go to uh, reddwarffanclub.com/slash/dimensionjump for more information about it. <laughs> if you want to book your tickets to come and meet us. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to get a panel, but Joe's mm. not keen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, once again, if you have been, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.